Well, I'm going to hand the time over now to uh, Pastor Glenn to continue our series from Ephesians. We're at the penultimate, penultimate, that's the, the second from the end, uh, message this morning, Walk in Harmonious Relationships. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Caroline. Ephesians chapter 5, if you could turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, it's quite a long passage, so it'll be handy if you have your text, your scripture, your Bible open up to Ephesians chapter 5, and it's from verse 22 all the way down to chapter 6 verse 9, chapter 6 verse 9. And as Pastor Caroline already mentioned, the title for today's sermon is Walking in Harmonious Relationships. Walking in Harmonious Relationships. Relationship is a rather tricky thing. Some people are easier to get along with, but there are some uh, are quite a challenge to get along with. And, but here in this context, it's talking about Christians. Christians, and I believe, I believe with all my heart, that the most essential key ingredients to walk in harmonious relationships is, first and foremost, to die to yourself. So before I come to the text, I want to explore these issues on dying to yourself. As a believer, when we become Christian, even through the symbol of baptism, it is quite clear that when you go down and immerse, you die to your old self, and then when you come out of the water, you resurrected with your new self. Uh, so it is to learn to die to yourself. Even Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 and other texts in the gospel message, he, when he issued a call to the discipleship, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple uh, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Dying to yourself. Paul here is going to echo this truth. That self-fulfillment involves self-denial. If you want to walk in harmonious relationship, the starting point is to learn to die to yourself. Peter Kraft, a philosopher from America, said, this is the secret of life, he said. The self lives only by dying, finds its identity only by self-forgetfulness, self-giving, self-sacrifice, and agape love. So if we want to walk harmoniously in a relationship, we have to learn to die to ourselves. But self-denial does not mean self-hatred or self-mortification, nor the rejection of our individuality. Self-denial is a way by which we realize that our happiness and fulfillment are not dependent upon having our own way or getting what we want. Self-denial is the willingness to consider the needs of others above our own self Interests. It is a commitment to live in relationships where the worth of all persons is valued and where getting my own way gives way to considering the concerns, the needs, 
and the interests of others. If Christ is not Lord in practice, life becomes a better ground for conflicting interests. So the starting point of harmonious relationship is learning to die to yourself. Otherwise, there will be lots of challenging uh, interests that lay before us in our Christian journey. Die to ourselves, find our true identity in Christ, self deny, take up the cross, and follow Jesus is always the starting point of harmonious relationship. William Temple, many, many years ago, he says this, which I think is spot on concerning about Christianity. He said, above all else, do not touch Christianity unless you are willing to put Him first. I promise you a miserable existence if you put Him second. And some of us, we although call ourselves Christian, but we have a lot of miserable existence in our Christian journey. We are not reaping all the benefits of what it means to be a Christian. It's simply because we have not truly put Christ first and take up the cross and follow Jesus and crucify ourselves to the cross. As Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2 verse 20, which Paul understood what it means to die to yourself. You are dead. And that is why there are some tradition when you first become Christian after baptism, they give you a new name because there is a new person that resurrected and your old self is gone and you live a Christ-centered life, you lead a Spirit-filled life in Christ. I wonder whether you heard of this story about a captain of the ship. He looked into the dark night, and he saw faint light in the distance, very far away, a faint light. And immediately, he, took his, he, he told his signal man to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south. And promptly a written message was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received from the other party, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent the third message, knowing the fear it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And then the reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. You know, in the midst of our dark and foggy times, where all sorts of voices are shouting orders into the night, telling us what to do, pertaining to relating to one another and pertaining to many other things in this world that we live, how to adjust our lives and all that, out of the darkness, I think one voice signals something quite opposite to the rest, something almost absurd, 
but a voice happens to be the light of the world, and we ignore it at our own peril. And so we have the Word of God to guide us. So while this passage is rather sensitive topic to talk about, about relationship with husband and wife, parents and children, and a slave and masters, but yet at the same time, it is the Word of God given to us with a strong sense of the right thing to do in a family. And, and the basis of this relationship, these three sets of relationship we're going to unpack is about submitting to one another. Because the key verse is in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And an outcome from this submission, Paul is, being, is going to give three sets of relationship in how, how to get along and adjust. You know, basically there are four myths of submission in Christian life. Because the word submission is actually a, a taboo word. It's not a good word. It's, it's, it has some sort of a negative connotation to it in Christian context. But there are actually four myths of submission in Christian life. People think that submission is a loss of freedom because you almost have to give in. You have to submit to some form of authority. And so it's, it's a loss of freedom. And secondly, it's a loss of identity. Like as if you submit, you... you you lost your identity. You have to give in to someone else. And the third myth is not just loss of freedom, loss of identity, but it's also a loss of purpose. Like when you submit, you can't do what you want to do and therefore you almost lost a sense of purpose. And finally, the, the, the fourth myth of uh, submission in Christian life is the loss of joy that there's no longer any joy because you're giving up something that you want to and give in to please someone else. So that these four myths of submission in Christian life, the submission is a loss of freedom, loss of identity, loss of purpose, loss of joy. But I want to, this morning, unpack this text for you and you're going to see the contrary to all this thing that true submission is the way to freedom, the way to find your identity, the way to find your purpose and full of joy in our Christian journey. So I want to read first and foremost the text to you first. Uh, and this section of the scripture is what scholars categorize it as the New Testament household quotes, C-O-D-E-S, or also known as the New Testament domestic quotes. So I want to read to you from verse 22 and all the way down to chapter 6, verse 9. Three sets of relationship, wives and husband, children and parents, slave and masters. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to 5 verse... Let me start with verse 21 because that is the key verse that hang, hang these three relationships together. Verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence, for Christ. Verse 22, addressing the wives and the husband. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ loves the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then the second relationship is between children and parents. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then the third set of relationship is between slave and masters. I think it's still applicable. You can put it in place of employee and employer. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes is on you, but like the slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not man. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Three sets of relationship, New Testament household codes of the day, New Testament domestic codes, hang on the verse of verse 21 of submitting yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, each society believes certain things about families and expects certain things from family members. Paul used that idea but his teaching went against the culture of his time. He taught that faith in Jesus impacts every relationship a believer has. Our relationship within our homes are to reflect Jesus living in us. Our relationship outside our homes are also to reflect Jesus living in us. Whether at home or outside homes, Paul's point was that Jesus transformed 
relationships. As we have been looking at the entire book of Ephesians, chapter 1 to 3, Paul has been telling the believers, now that you are believers, you know all this spiritual blessing you have in Christ. God loves you, lavish you, redeem you, shower you with all the spiritual blessing in Christ. And then from chapter 4 onwards, he went on to expound, now that you know who you are, this is how you ought to live. Now that you know all these privileges of yours, you have to live up and discharge your responsibilities. Chapter 1 to 3 talks about doctrine. Chapter 4 to 6 is all about duty. And here Paul is reaching out to the Ephesus Christians, those converts in the pagan world, under this family structure. And Paul is saying, now that you are a believer, you are going to transform your relationship, the way you relate to people. And he's going to use these this three sets of relationship. The, the, the structure is the same, but Paul is going to change the entire dynamic that comes along as a believer of Christ. That because you are a Christian now, because that Jesus lives in you, because your old self is gone, you are going to transform every relationship that you are in. The structure is exactly the same, but the dynamic is going to change. And I'm going to show you how Paul begins to change this dynamic between husband and wife, parents and children, slave and masters. And Paul wants the Ephesians to see that their new life in Christ should transform their relationships. Becoming a Christian means reorienting the most basic aspect of life together. So I want to unpack by giving you three letters as an easier way to unpack. Three M. Uh, the first one is mutuality. And the second point is motivation. And the third point is mission. Mutuality, motivation, and mission. Firstly, mutuality. Paul introduced a new element into the household codes. Namely, the Christian home was to be different to the typical Greco-Roman family. Every member of the Christian household was to live under the Lordship of Christ, which is going to revolutionize all relationships. And Paul is saying that mutuality rather than hierarchy is the new norm in the Christian community. Mutuality, not hierarchy, is going to be the new norm in the Christian community community, Christian relationship. The concept of mutuality will be used to challenge the hierarchical structure of the household identity. There are basically two sets of relationships. Always husband and wife, uh, parents and children, and then slave and masters. But there are two groups here. One group is in the authority section, and the other group is on the subservient section. Authority group is like Husband, parents, father, and master. And most subservient one in the Greco-Roman culture is wives, children, and slaves. And Paul is going to address to these two groups 
But first and foremost, he changed this dynamic in the structure of the household codes at that time because now that you are believers, is mutuality. Mutuality and not hierarchical is going to be the norm in the way you deal with your household. That is what Paul is saying. For example, he said, Wives, submit to your husband. But husband loves your wife. See, there's a mutuality there. Each has a part to play. Wives submit, husband loves. Children obey, but parents or father do not provoke. In King James Version, is do not provoke your children to wrath or do not exasperate your children. Or in Colossians, in the same context, he said, do not embitter them. So children obey, fathers do not provoke or exasperate. And then the third set of relationship is slaves obey your master, but master treat them well and do not threaten them. Paul moved from this hierarchical way to mutuality. He introduced the new concept of of relationship that as a believers, the way you handle relationship now is mutuality and not hierarchical. Of course, this mutuality instruction by no means suggesting that wives are exempt from being loving and nurturing towards their husband or husbands are exempt from being submissive and respectful towards their wives. Because as I already mentioned, uh, before verses 22 and 23 comes verse 21, which is submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if you were to turn to uh, chapter 5, verse 1, uh, Paul says that again, uh, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loves us and gave himself up for us as a fragrance offerings. So submission isn't just for wives, and sacrificial love isn't just for husbands. But but the bottom line is Paul changed the hierarchical way into mutuality because in the Roman Greco culture, and he addressed specifically to that group of people that has authority. So when Paul is describing the duties of the husband, if you look at it again, uh, duty of the husband, parents, and master, this set of relationship that is supposed to have the authority, but Paul never emphasized the authority part at all. He didn't ask them to exercise the authority. On the contrary, whether it's explicitly or implicitly, Paul actually warned them, warns them against the improper use of their authority, forbids them to exploit their position, and he actually urges them instead to remember their responsibilities and the other parties' rights. And so husbands are to love their wives, care for them, Parents are not to provoke their children, but to bring them up sensitively. sensitively, And masters are not to threaten their slaves, but to treat them well and treat them with justice. And so Paul did not emphasize on the authority part at all, to the husband, to the masters, and to the parents. But instead, tell them to love, exercise love. And so if we sum up authority in biblical usage, it is not a a synonym or equivalent of 
tyranny, that we tend to associate authority with tyranny. And all those who occupy position or, of authority in society instead are responsible both to the God who has entrusted this power to them and also to the person or persons for whose benefit they have been given it. In a word, if you lost everything that I've said, the biblical concept of authority spells not tyranny, but responsibility. Responsibility. Just like uh, Peter addressed to leaders of the church in 1 Peter chapter 5, it brings in this, this concept of authority. It redefines what the Greco-Roman world understands or our, our world now understands authority. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, uh, Paul give, uh, Peter gave a charge to the leaders of the church. He said, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonors gained, but eager to serve, not lording it over them, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherds arrive or appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. See, Peter, similarly like Paul, redefined what authority is into some sort of a way of servant, bringing Christ as an example. So if you look at chapter 5 again between the relationship of husband and wife, if you think submission is difficult, look at the role that husband responsibility is. Interestingly, I just made a calculation of it. The instruction to wives is only three verses, 22, 23, and 24. But the instruction to husband, nine verses. Nine verses. And I calculate in terms of number of words, Paul gives instruction to wives only 71 words. And Paul gave to husband 155 words. Three times more. Three times more. Three times, if you look at verse 25, three times 25, 28, and, and 33. 25, 28, and 33. Three times Paul uses the word love when speaking to husband. Look at verse 25. Husband, love your wives. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. And, and then verse 33, each one of you must love his wife just as he loves himself. Three times, Paul talks about loving, loving, and loving. His authority is defined in terms of loving responsibility. So to our minds, the word authority seems power, dominion, and even oppression. We may have the image of a husband that is domineering, issues, commands, and expects obedience, inhibits and suppresses his wife, and so prevents her from growing into a mature or fulfilled person. But that's not how the Scripture defines authority. It is not this kind of headship that... Uh, uh, verse 23 talks about, for the husband is the head of the wife. It is not the word headship that Paul is describing whose model is Jesus Christ. 
And if you look at verse 25 again, it says, Husband loves your wives. But what is the standard? Just as Christ loves the church. You know how high the standard is? How does Christ love the church? Die for the church. And so husband loves for the wife is just as Christ loves the church. And so, this headship implies sacrifice, self-giving, and for the sake of the beloved bride. So if headship here means power in any sense, then it is the power to care and not to crush. It is the power to serve and not to dominate. It is the power to facilitate self-fulfillment and not frustrate or destroy it or put obstacle to it. And in all this, the standard of the husband love is to be the cross of Christ on which he surrendered himself even to death in his selfless love to his bride. As someone jokingly loved to say, husband may be the head, but the wife is the neck that controls the head. My professor, my New Testament lecturer, uh, once was teaching this topic, and uh, he said, well, in my household, I make all the major decisions. My wives make all the minor decisions. But to tell you the truth, for some reason in my household, there are no major decisions to make. <laughs> and when you really think about the word submit and love, they actually mean the same thing. If I were to ask you, what is the meaning of submit? When you really try to define these two words, submit and love, it is not easy to distinguish clearly between them. What does it mean to submit? It is to give oneself up to somebody. And then if I would ask you, what does it mean to love? It is to give oneself up for somebody, just as Christ gave himself up for the church. So therefore, submission and love are two aspects of the very same thing, namely that of selfless, self-giving, which is the foundation of an enduring and growing marriage. As the husband loves his wife and the wife submits to her husband, each is seeking to enable the other to become more fully himself and herself within the harmonious complementary of the sexes. So Paul brings in this element of mutuality into the Greco-Roman world, which is hierarchical of this authority. But Paul said, no, it's mutuality. Husband, love, wife, submit. Parents, children, obey your parents. Parents, do not provoke them. Do not exasperate them. Do not be sarcastic to them, insult them. Provoke them to anger. There's a mutuality there. The children, obey your parents. Of course, there are a whole lot of uh, exceptional, you could listen to it, what age group you should cut off, should you're 30 years old, you still obey your parents? Of course not. Then you move on to honouring your parents. There are scriptures about submission as well to authority and all the kind of things, but there are also injunctions in the scripture where you don't have to. In the issue of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, in the story of uh, Peter and, and John in Acts, 
where they say, I'd rather obey God than man. So there are some exceptional cases where the rules doesn't apply. There are higher law that comes into place when that is the case. But under the norm, it should be the case in that way. So children, obey your parents. Don't make the mistake to think that when you are 13, 14, 15 years old, you know everything. And it will come back to haunt you. It will come back uh, with a vengeance. If you do not listen to their advice, you may not like their advice, but I always believe that they always have your best interest at heart. Always means always have your best interest at heart. Uh, and, and then masters and slaves is the same. You know, slave, obey your earthly masters, your employer, uh, because, and, and masters then will treat them properly. So the first point Paul brings into this dynamic relationship, structure remains the same, but changing the dynamic is a mutuality aspect of it. No longer hierarchical, but mutuality. Secondly, not to worry, second and third point is, is rather short. It's not as long as the first one. The second point that I want to bring to you is motivations. Not just mutuality that Paul brings into the dynamic of the, the relationship, but motivation. The structure is the same, but the dynamic change in the sense of the motivation change now. The motivation is Christ. Look at verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look at these uh, three sets of relationship. Look at the uh, subservient segment of the three sec uh, uh, section. Uh, wives, submit yourself. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. So your motivation then is, I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm submitting to God, therefore I'm submitting to you. I'm doing it for the Lord. Why submission to husband is a voluntarily self-giving to a lover whose responsibility is defined in terms of constructive care. It is love's response to love. So doing it unto the Lord. And then look at children in chapter 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Doing it for the Lord. The motivation is doing it for the Lord. And look at slaves in chapter 6, verse 5 and 7. Slaves, obey your earthly master with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. You see this, this segment of it? That the motivation is to the Lord. And look at the group of people with authority. Paul is saying the same thing. Husband, in verse 25, in chapter 5, verse 20, husband loves your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. The motivation again is Christ. And look at fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, or provoke your children to wrath. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do it for the Lord. And then again, masters, in chapter 6, verse 9. Masters, treat, yourself, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, 
Why? Since you know that He who is both their Master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with Him. Master, remember, you may be your slave earthly master, but both of you has a master in heaven. And God is not going to show favoritism to you as a master. So you can see that Paul again bringing this dynamic of relationship of motivations factor. The motivation is for the Lord. I'm doing it for the Lord. For the Lord. And as you come through Scripture, I have no time to, to, to bring in so many of the Scripture verses that tells us that whatever we do, we do it for the Lord. And then it will change the whole dynamic of what you do because the motivation has changed. And when motivation changes, the output will be different. For example, let me just give you a few verses, okay, without going into detail. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it for the Lord. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. It's okay. And then, if you remember the story, the parable of the sheep and the goat in Matthew 25, the story about sheep and the goat, read about it in Matthew 25. Uh, oh, I don't know that you're in prison. I don't know you're hungry. I don't know you're thirsty. And uh, Jesus said, well, whatever you've done to the least of these brethren, you are actually doing it unto me, unto me. And then, of course, the more uh, popular verse is in Matthew chapter 10 that talks about if you give even a cups of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciples, truly, that person will never lose their reward because you are doing it unto me. In, in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sends me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Here again, the motivation is doing it unto the Lord. So Paul again brings in this second dimension, not just mutuality, but motivation in the way we deal with people, that are, we are doing it unto the Lord. Well, there's this very famous uh, quote that's been going around. Uh, it has been attributed to Mother Teresa, but I did some research. It was not actually by her at all. Um, just want to qualify that. Uh, it say, basically, it, it, it's the title of this uh, saying is, Do It Anyway. Uh, I've used it before. It said, People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Uh, forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives, but be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some new en true enemies, but succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. And this is the punchline. 
You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyway. So the motivation factor helps in harmonious relationship. Whatever we do, whether it's submit or love, whether it's obey or do not provoke, whether it's obey or treat them well, we do it unto the Lord. And the third M that I want to conclude is mission. Paul built in the new dynamics to harmonious relationship, mutuality, motivation, and finally, mission. When a person becomes a believer in the Greco-Roman world, the structure was like that. Paul did not go and change the entire structure, ask people to rebel and, and change. Paul said, no, continue as it is, but change your perspective, change your motivation, change your, your out outlook of it, and it becomes a mission. The purpose is to share, is that when you say when you do it that way, you are shining. You are shining. You are bearing a very good testimony to those around you by changing the dynamic involved in that structure. So the purpose is to shine for Christ and be different. Wives submitting to their husband willingly and joyfully out of her own will and husband loving their, their wives sacrificially. Children, obey your parents willingly, joyfully. And parents never embitter or provoke their children and bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey and serve your earthly master wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not man. And therefore, master, provide them what is right and never threaten them. So the way of purpose of doing all this is that they can be a wonderful testimony as a family unit wherever they are whether it's the wives or the husband, whether it's the children or the parents, whether it's the uh, masters or slaves, whatever they do, they fulfill their role and change the entire dynamic. And as a result, it becomes a wonderful mission to those around us. People may begin to wonder how come they are like this. Why this husband and wife can harmoniously live together in that way, even though the world that we live in uh, tend to uh, want to redefine our roles. So there you go. A walk in harmonious uh, relationship here in this part of the Scripture on top of what Paul has already challenging us to walk in unity, walk in holiness, walk in love, walk in wisdom, walk in the Spirit, and now walk as in the lifestyle in harmonious relationship with one another. Let me finish with this. Uh, all of us have heard of the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, uh, it's one of the best-selling books in the past. I don't know about now. Everybody loved that book. It is often the ultimate authority on record-breaking achievement. Did you know that it started out uh, as an idea for a book of facts to solve arguments at pub? because there's no authority to appeal to. And the idea came in 1950s from Sir Hugh Beaver. I read about this. He was the managing director of the Guinness Brewery, and he, he was attending a shooting party. 
And there he and his host, they argued about the fastest game bird in Europe. And they said, which, which bird is the fastest game bird in Europe? And so they, they tried to research and did all the... They, couldn't, they failed to find an answer in any reference book. And so in 1954, re, recalling his shooting party argument, Sir Hugh had the idea for a Guinness promotion based on the idea of settling pub arguments. And so he invited uh, the twins by the name of Norris and Ross, who were fact-finding researchers, to compile a book of facts and figures. And so in 1955, the Guinness Brewing Company decided that an official record was needed to pacify its customers. The Guinness Book of Records was created to settle pub arguments over a glass of Guinness Stout. But we have a far better bestseller to help us to live harmoniously. This is Scripture, the Word of God revealed to us how to live harmoniously in society's most important sets of relationship, husband and wife, parents and children, employer and employee. And this is the Word of God. And I pray and I hope that you will take it to heart and, and then we can live harmoniously and be a wonderful light to those who need to see what it really means to live harmoniously in those sets of relationship. May we pray now. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we pray that we will always let your word dictate how we live. Uh, may we die to ourselves because we want Christ to live in us. We want to live a spirit-filled life and, and therefore we need to die in order for us to live harmoniously. We pray for husband and wives. We pray for uh, our parents and children, masters and slaves. Dear Lord, uh, we pray that you will protect us and for us believers that we will always be a wonderful light for you in this relationship. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We uh, ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I play a very special clip of benediction uh, for Father's Day, I want you to watch that. And then after that, we will sing the closing song. So that the benediction clip, beautiful. We must do all fathers, must do, especially for fathers. Uh, benediction clip and then the closing song. And remember, we have uh, morning tea after the closing song. Please join us. Amen.
Thank you. 